They're amazing. So everybody, please give a warm epicenter welcome for Michelle Cuss. I'm on. Check, check. Hi. Oh, hello. Oh, I was muted. Well, that's not going to help much, is it? Hello. Now I seem really loud. Am I very loud? It's a good thing that I work something with pockets. Um... Okay, so I have a whiteboard way back there. I might have you move it up for me, but when I speak, oh, it's taller than me. <laughs> oh, thanks. You guys are the best. Like, this is the most, okay, I'll talk about my shirt first because it's this. Yes. Okay. No, I think I'm good. But thank you. Okay, so it's not going to distract you. The shirt. Have you read it yet? It says, please don't make me cuss you out. <laughs> Every time I come here, I, this is my third time, I think, speaking here, and I like to wear shirts. I always wear shirts with words on them. Um, so the cuss, that's my last name, K-U-S. So I figured, you know... Um, when I was growing up, my maiden name was Bath. And so, yes, Michelle Bath. So when I was growing up, I thought, I can't wait to get married so I could have a normal last name. Like, that was kind of a secret dream of mine. I want a normal, I want a normal last name. Is that better? Okay. Um, yeah, you don't need to hear me breathing. And so I got married, and I got cussed. <laughs> so I don't know if I went from bad to worse, but anyway, I, I realized at a certain point in time, I'm going to make the most of this. Um, I'm going to make, I'm going to have fun with it. So I like to post inspirational quotes and graphics on Instagram and face, on my Facebook page, and the hashtag is today's cuss word. So when I post those things, those are my cuss words. And they're always encouraging and uplifting, so I'm trying to redeem, redeem that phrase. Um, so how are you guys doing? You guys look amazing, beautiful as always. Um, every time I come here, I feel like I need to take off my shoes, and I'm leaving them on, don't worry. Um, but I, I feel, I've realized today, the reason that I feel that way when I come here is because it feels like a living room. Like, I, when I come here, you, you have couches, and it's like a family, and I feel like I'm coming into your living room. And so I think, oh, I'm just going to kick off my shoes because I'm in the living room. And there's a sonic boom in the living room. Should I do something with my mic? Okay. Okay. So I'm going to talk today about the art of being yourself. Um, and when I was two years old, uh, 
My mom likes to tell me this story. I don't remember this, but my mom tells me, when I was two years old, a family friend came up to me and said, so, Michelle, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so the story goes, I straightened up and went, a woman. (laughs) And I I like to think that I accomplished my goal, right? Uh, Success. Um, But over the course of my life, people have asked me that a lot, and they've probably asked you, uh, you probably remember people asking you during your childhood, what do you want to be when you grow up? And depending on uh, my mood and the situation, I would say different things. Like, I want to be an orthodontist. I don't know where that came from, (laughs) y'all. I went to the orthodontist. Um, Or I'd want to be a a marine biologist. Um, Or one day I said, I want to be a square dance caller. (laughs) So, so, and I I am a musician today. I told my daughter, my oldest daughter, this about these different things that I wanted to be when I was growing up. And she said, Mom, I hate to break it to you, but I think you're the closest to square dance caller. (laughs) Um, So anyway, what do you want to be when you grow up. And by the way, what age is grown up? Right? That, I'm not sure <laughs> what qualifies as grown up. But when you're young, it's cute. You get to dream. You, you elicit cute responses from kids. Um, but as you get older, that question can actually induce some anxiety. What do I want to be when I grow up? I'm 45, you guys. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> you get right? You too. Uh, So I'm not alone. (laughs) And so I thought, you know, what do I want to be? What do I want to be? And as I was growing up, I was the kind of kid who would kind of throw myself into things and try to get really good at it. So, like, in my chemistry class, I tried to be really good at chemistry. And in my piano lessons, I tried to be really good at piano, you know. I was just that kind of kid. But what happened was those people thought... I was really passionate about their thing. And so they'd say, like my chemistry teacher, I remember him saying, oh, you should go into science. Uh, And my piano teacher, oh, you should go into some sort of music for your career. And and that happened a few different times. And of course, my mom would always say, you could do whatever you want. Um, And being the kind of people-pleasing kid that I was growing up, I thought, well, maybe I should go into science. Maybe I should go into music. Maybe I should, maybe I should. And I don't know if this has happened to any of you, but for me, I lost me. I kind of lost me because I was, I kind of got concerned with, well, what do you think I should be? Oh, you you think I'm good at that? Oh, you, you think I'm good at that? Oh, okay, maybe I should do that. And I, I reached a point where I was like, wait, what do I love to do? It was a hard question for me to answer. And in our church, we started a few years ago talking about dreams. What are your dreams? You know, what, what are you dreaming about? And I thought, what are my dreams? What are my dreams? And so um, it's been a process. I became a Christian when I was 22 years old, the day before I graduated college. Um, And so that added another question into my life of what's God's will for my life? That was like this other layer of 
of expectation, almost pressure to get it right. Um, and so I was kind of in this space when I became a Christian of trying to figure out who I was. I had a double major, so I was trying to do all the things. Um, and, you know, most people say, like, what do people say when, when you're nervous to do something? What do they say to you? If you're nervous to go into a situation, oh, Shannon, just be yourself. You'll be fine. You know what? Just be yourself. You're great, just like you are. Just. Just. You know, like, like that's an easy thing. Just be yourself. Um, but is it that easy to just be yourself? So I want to talk about that um, concept today. So there are two groups, I think, where it's the easiest to be yourself. One is the very young. So how many of you, ha how many of, you have kids who are four and under? Like, I know Benji's under four. Okay, so we have some little kids. Kids who are four and under have a great, very easy time being themselves. If you go into a classroom of a bunch of four-year-old boys and you say, who is the strongest boy in the class? What's going to happen? They all go, I am! <laughs> the whole class. But if you go into a class of seven-year-old boys and you say, who's the strongest boy in the class? They'll say him. He's the strongest boy. And he's the, he's the tallest, and she's the smartest, and he's the best looking. <laughs> you know by that age your strengths and weaknesses, how you're different from other people, and you're, you start this thing of being aware of differences and comparing yourself to other people. Um, I'll tell you this story. When I was in first grade, our whole class was misbehaving being loud and obnoxious, and so our teacher made us sit at our desks and put our heads down on our desks. Like, this is old school, right? So we had to sit down with our heads down on our desks, and so I did this for a while, but it seemed like it was going on for way too long, so I popped my head up and started looking around, and the teacher said, Michelle, why don't you have your head down on your desk? And I said, we're wasting our lives. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was, I was that kid. I was always thinking about these things, even from that age. We're here to do something, right? Not put our heads down on our desks. So the very young, they have no problem being themselves. Also, on the other, age, on the under, other end of the age spectrum, as you get old, <laughs> you have no problem being yourself because you realize... I don't have as many summers left as I have behind me, and I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell it like it is, and if I don't want to eat my broccoli, I'm not eating my broccoli. And if I don't want to listen to your jazz, I'm not listening to your jazz. <laughs> and so, um, so we have this kind of hourglass effect of the very young and the old um, being themselves and being authentically who they are. But what about the rest of us who are all in the middle? And most of us are somewhere in the middle, right? Um, and so <laughs> I, I want to share with you this concept that I learned from Jonathan Welton. I don't know if any of you have heard of Jonathan Welton, 
but he has a school called Welton Academy. I've been in this online school for four years, almost four years. He has a concept called time wealth. It's an idea of making the most of the time you have on Earth. And what he does is he has you um, take, let, let's say that you are very healthy and you take good care of yourself and, and you live to 90, okay? Maybe you're gonna live more, maybe 100. You could do 100 if you want to. But you take 90 or 100, okay? And you subtract your age, okay? Now, yes, I'm 45. So I'm officially halfway to 90. Woo! Um, <laughs> I had that realization on my birthday. Um, okay, so 45. <clears throat> That's how many years I <clears throat> um, hypothetically might have left on Earth. But you have to count for sleep, right? So you have to take two-thirds of that number. <clears throat> this is a lot of math for Sunday morning. I'm, I apologize. <laughs> Okay, but we have 30. So for me, I have 30 awake years left to advance the kingdom, right? To figure out what I'm here to do, to advance the kingdom, and to kick in the gates of hell, right? So are you guys, I can see you're, some of you are doing, Kathy's working it out right now. She's <laughs> Maybe she's not. Um, <clears throat> so the point of this is not to make you feel old or young or anything. The point of this is to say, what do I want to do with those years, those awake years that I have left, however many there are? I want to make the most of it. And so I ask myself a lot, am I being authentically me? Am I doing what I feel called to do? Am I doing something that brings me joy, that bears fruit? Am I being myself? Am I being myself and doing what I'm, I'm put here on this earth to do? I ask myself that a lot. You know, the other time, actually, when people get very honest um, about whether or not they're being themselves, making the most of their life, is if there's some sort of crisis. Either there's a national crisis, like 9-11, or they have some sort of health crisis. Either they themselves have a health crisis or a loved one has a health crisis. Um, and suddenly, or there's a sudden death, and suddenly we're taking stock of our lives, right? You guys can relate to that. So, I want to talk to you today about that. And um, the way I'm going to do this is I want you to think of yourself like a work of art, title of my talk is The Art of Being Yourself, and you are a work of art. So I want you to think of yourself like a painting. Painting by God. And in this painting, you have different elements. You have your DNA. You can tell I'm an extraordinary artist. These are like supposed to be DNA strands. Hey, this is in your inherited DNA that you got from mom and dad um, that make up who you are. You have some natural abilities, okay? Just things you're naturally good at. Maybe you're naturally athletic. Maybe you're naturally funny. Um, 
maybe you have a natural ability to jump out of planes, whatever it might be. You also have a unique personality type. Some of you know that one of the things that I do is uh, I do the Myers-Briggs with people. The Myers-Briggs is a personality assessment. It's the most commonly, widely used one in the world. It's been around 70 plus years. And it helps give people a framework for understanding how they're wired. Um, and of course, there's all kinds of intricacies within that. But it kind of gives a basic framework. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? What does that mean? Um, how do you process information? That kind of thing. So you have a unique personality type. And by the way, you have unique love languages, too. Some people feel loved by words. Some people feel loved uh, by acts of service. Some people feel loved by touch. So you have all this going on. You also have some various skills you've picked up over time, life experiences, life circumstances. <coughs> You have, I'm running out of colors, but you have a mixture of natural and spiritual gifts. Okay. So you've got spiritual gifts and natural gifts. And there's lots of inventories out there to help you discern what those are. And finally, to finish my acronym here, You also have a heart passion. You have a heart passion. Okay. Something lights you up inside. It could be certain people, certain places, certain causes. I'll share with you, the thing that lights me up inside a lot is reminding people of the greatness that they carry. If, if I have gotten that message across to people, however that message comes across, that makes me happy. That's a heart passion of mine. Okay, so all of these things make up your shape. And this I stole from Rick Warren. So you can Google Rick Warren shape. He's got a whole book on this. You can read all about it. Uh, but that's just his acronym for this idea of all of these different things that make up the work of art that's you. I'm going to tell you this story about, um, you guys know Ian and Rachel. They're friends of this house. Uh, well, they have friends who are prophets up in Canada, Isabel and Ivan Allum, who, who mentored them in the prophetic. Um, and Isabel shares this story. Just bear with me because it's a little out there. But she has this personal experience of having gone up to heaven and she saw the Father and Jesus and Holy Spirit creating people. And they were doing it with such delight. They were like giddy, like, oh, this one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her this kind of uh, sweet, sensitive personality, and oh yeah, let's put that music in her, and oh let's let's give her this like really weird quirk that would be fun, you know, um, or let's put this brilliant mind in him. So she saw 
this process of them delighting over this process of creating people. Isn't that beautiful? I really think that heaven celebrates the way that you're wired, even if you don't. <laughs> um, even the quirks, heaven celebrates. Um, he probably put those in you. So if you haven't already, um, you can go ahead and make a picture frame like that and take a minute or two, if you haven't already, and just write down a few things that come to mind that you know are unique about you. And I'll give you a couple minutes to do that. So what is in your picture frame? You guys have some stuff written down? Nothing. <laughs> Let me take another minute. Do you have some stuff in your frame, your picture frame? This doesn't have to be uh, all filled in with all of these things yet. This is just a starter picture frame. Um, but what I'd like you to do is take one of those aspects of you, something maybe that you particularly like about yourself, um, I want you to turn it into an I am statement. So I'll start. I am an inspirer. I don't even know if that's actually a real word, but I just made it up. <laughs> I'm an inspirer. Um, so anyone want to share an I am statement? Anyone feeling bold? If not, you, you, Kathy, what? Yeah, you are an encourager. That's for sure. Shannon. You are a worshiper. Shannon is a worshiper. Yes, so true. And also a brilliant worship leader. Anyone else? I love to give, and I also love to thank You love to give, so you are a? You are a giver. And you are a? Baker. 
Yep. It's, it's great to know what you love, and I think it even takes it up a notch when you, when you own it and say, I am a giver, right? There's some power in that. I am a woman. <laughs> Hear me roar. Actually, you remember last time I was here, I made you roar? Who remembers roaring? Twice, actually. I remember making you roar twice. I won't make you roar today, but I hope you are still roaring your courage. Uh, So, Psalm 139. I love this Psalm. 13. uh, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes. Your works are wonderful. Wait, whose works are wonderful? His works are wonderful. Well, what's one of his works? You are. You are wonderful, people. Um, I know that full well. Um, how about this in the, in the same, the same passage in the message? Listen to this. I love the message. Oh, yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Isn't that cool? Don't, isn't that cool? You are sculpted from, from, from nothing into something. So you literally are God's sculpture. You are literally God's work of art. So how do I live as a work of art? I think it comes down to discovering who you are and what you're here to do. Who you are and what you're here to do. You know, if you go on Amazon.com and you look up books on finding your life purpose, do you know how many hits you'll get? Take a guess. How many books? Over a thousand. Yeah. Finding your life purpose. Do you want to know how many? What's that? It's 151,928 books on finding your life purpose. So all you have to do, guys, is read all those books, and you're good to go. So... Yeah, you've got, I've got 30 awake years left, so, you know, I've got my work cut out for me. No, you don't need to read 151,928 books to figure out, just read that one. Yes, and I'm going to give you some scriptures that I think have keys for finding your life purpose. Because of reading, reading the many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body, right? All the kids were like, amen. All the kids on summer vacation. Um, The scripture that I think holds the keys to this are in Romans 12. Romans 12, I think, holds keys. And I'm borrowing this teaching from Martin Trench. Dr. Martin Trench is where I first learned this, and I loved it. That's why I wanted to share it with you. 
<clears throat> so Romans 12, 1 says, oh, there it is. Oh, that's Psalm 139. <laughs> Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, so I'm going to offer my body. So I, I mentioned I'm a musician, so I offer my arms. I offer my hands. When I speak, I offer my mouth. I offer my body. I dedicate it to God. So the first one is we dedicate... Make some space here. Our body. We dedicate our body. Next one is Romans twelve two. Okay. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Huh. Is good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the second part has to do with transforming our mind. So I'll stick with another D word and use deprogram. We need to deprogram our minds from the world's way of thinking, what the world says about us, maybe even what we say about us, to what God says about us, right? And that is actually, that was the topic of my entire talk last time I came, was all about renewing your mind and then pursuing your destiny. And I gave you lots of identity statements that you could grab onto. What God says about you. So we deprogram our mind and we change the way we think about ourselves. The third key comes from Romans 3, 12, 3. Romans 12, 3. These are all 12. 12.1, 12.2, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not, think of your, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, let them prophesy. Serving, let them serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's encouraging, give encouragement. If it's giving, give, lead. Whatever your gift is, basically he says, go do it. <laughs> so our third key is discover. We want to discover our gifts. We're going to discover our gifts, the way that God has uniquely gifted and wired us. And this makes your spirit come alive. That makes your spirit 
come alive. When you're using the gifts that God's given you, don't you feel alive? How does it feel up there, Shannon, when you're leading worship, using the gifts God's put in you? Yeah, it, it just makes you come alive. And gifts are not meant to be held on to, right? Gifts are always meant to be given. So if I have a teaching gift, it's not so I can hold on to my teaching gift and say, well, I have the teaching gift. No, it's, it's to give you. I want to give you things that I have learned so that you can have them too. So the gifts and the dreams God's placed in you are not for you. They're for other people. I know that you guys know this. I feel like um, this is so simple and it's such a good reminder just to, you know, remember these things. Um, So there's a quote by Howard Thurman. He says, Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. What the world needs is people who have come alive. So what makes you come alive? What are you good at? What do you enjoy? What gives you energy when you're doing it? Do you know when I get up here and speak, I get nervous before I speak, but when I'm done, I'm so energized. I'm like, you ever get that way when you're doing something you really love? You're like, yeah, and I'm naturally an introvert, by the way. Um, But I get all like, you know, when I come up and speak or teach. So those are good clues when that happens. Those are good clues. And this, by the way, this is in this particular order. If you reverse this order and say, well, I'm going to just discover my gifts and move in my gifts, I'm not going to worry about these other two, you could definitely run into some trouble. <laughs> you know, this is where, like, ministry scandals can happen and stuff. Uh, if you haven't re- reprogrammed your mind t- into your identity, if you haven't dedicated your body to the Lord yet, um, you know, you can run into some serious problems. So we move in that direction. Um, and it, I think this is always a process. You know, you're never done. I, I don't think you're ever done with this. So you can keep coming back, rededicating your body, renewing your mind all the time, all the time. And you may discover gifts that are inside of you that you didn't even know were there. There, there are gifts inside of you you may not even be aware of yet. That's an interesting thought to me. Anyway, and this is how you know God's will for your life. is good, pleasing, perfect will. Those are not three different kinds of will. Like, I don't want his good will. I want his perfect will. I don't, his pleasing will is okay, but I really want... No, it's not like that. His good, pleasing, and perfect will is... There's not like three levels of willdom, Okay? One will, and it's good, and it brings perfection into your life, and it pleases him, and it pleases you. Cool? Cool. So, I feel like I, many times when I, when I speak and teach, I'm, my main calling is just to remind people of their greatness and their identity. So I want to remind you of your greatness and your identity today.
That's really all I want to do. I want you guys to think about, take a minute and think about a remarkable person. Anybody, do anybody want to give me a name? Somebody you think is like really remarkable, stands out to you. Shout me a name. Who? Your mom. Who else? Your father. Wow. Anyone else? Whenever I hear this kind of a question, I always think Martin Luther King Jr. I don't know what, what's that? Mother Teresa. Yeah, that, those names just pop to mind. I love Martin Luther King Jr. Um, who he was, everything he stood for. Um, so we kind of have these names that pop to mind, or mom or dad, remarkable people. You know what they have in common? It's not extraordinary DNA, I'll tell you that. Their DNA is not any more extraordinary than your DNA. But you know what they have in common? They are unapologetically fully themselves. They're walking fully, unapologetically as themselves in this world. And they are not letting other people tell them who they are and who they aren't. Right? If you think about it. Because other, other than that, they don't have much in common. You know? A lot of remarkable people don't have things in common, but they have that in common. And we can all do that. So your job is to be as good at being you as they are at being them. I feel like most of us as Christians, we don't take up nearly the space in the spirit that we could be, that we could be taking up in the spirit. I mean, even in Genesis 1, it, God said, have dominion. Have dominion over the earth. Okay? And Jesus showed us the way. Like, he was walking on water and calming storms and anybody tried to calm a storm? Yeah, we have too. My husband did in Alaska. We, we, this was a long time ago. There were, uh, we couldn't go up in a helicopter to see the glaciers because there were clouds everywhere. So we climbed up to the top of this little hill or mountain or something. And he stood out there and he said, Peace be still. <laughs> and within like half an hour or an hour, all the clouds parted, and we ended up being able to go up in that helicopter. Um, we were on a flight just a few days ago back from uh, Fort Lauderdale to Chicago, and the end of the flight, there were, it was so cloudy, and it was so bumpy. <laughs> Have you ever been on a flight like that, where you feel like you're going to fly out of your seat right and left? Who loves those kind of flights? Oh... It's my, I actually have a friend who's like, the more turbulence, the better. I love it. I'm like, I don't know who you are, but <laughs> um, it's, for me, it's very disorienting. My, my, one of my daughters was getting really motion, uh, air sick, and I was getting really dizzy. So in, under my breath, I'm like, air smooth out. I was 
trying to command the air, air smooth out without looking like a weirdo on the plane, right? Air smooth out. And I'm praying, you know, air smooth out. Um, and it eventually calmed down and, well, we, we landed safely, so. Um, but you're bigger on the inside. Your spirit is bigger, so much bigger than you are on the outside, so much bigger. So I want you to take up the space. Your spirit's a giant, right? And it doesn't benefit anybody when you play small. When you play small in life, that doesn't benefit anybody. In fact, John 14, 12, very true, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you. So you know, when Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, he's like, y'all better listen, because I mean it. What I'm about to say is legit, okay? So Jesus, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Oh, like so, casting out devils and opening blind eyes and raising the dead. Okay, no big deal. Oh, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Okay, so what does that look like? So the spirit that's inside of you is capable of doing greater things than Jesus. That didn't sound like an insecure Jesus, right? Who's like, I got to be the head honcho, people. No, that sounds like a Jesus who wanted to pass that baton and see his kids go further, faster, higher, bigger, better than even he did. He was just starting us off. Jesus was just starting us off. And we take it now from here with the Holy Spirit inside of us. Yeah. I think Jesus, he was basically saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because when you get a hold of your identity, ho, ho, ho watch out. Watch out. So, and the creation is eagerly waiting to see that happening. You have so much freedom in the kingdom. Ding! You are now free to move about the kingdom. You have so much freedom. So, yeah, so Jesus led the way. Um, so your destiny is tied to who you are becoming. Who are you becoming in the spirit? You're becoming a son. You're becoming a daughter. You're, you're on this process of dedicating your body, deprogramming and reprogramming your mind away from those old orphan mindsets to this mindset of being a powerful son, a powerful daughter in the spirit, in the Lord, and discovering who you are discovering what makes you come alive. This is how you know your life's purpose. And that's how you become the real you. The real you. I was so confused for so many years of my life because I always felt different from other people. I just, I always felt like an oddball. I never fit in. I couldn't figure out what it, it, what it was. I mean, I got along. I was sociable, but I never felt like I fit in until I realized something about my personality when I studied the Myers-Briggs. My Myers-Briggs is INFJ, and if you know anything about personality types, that's the rarest of all 16 types. It's only one and a half percent of the population. 
One and a half percent has that combination. And I thought, oh, that's why I never feel like I kind of, I never fit in. I kind of always feel like I'm odd. <laughs> so it's a revelation when you start discovering these things about yourself. All right, let's see here. So I want to spend, let's see, we go till noon. I should wrap it up. Yeah, I'm just going to skip to the end here. Yeah, so let me just, I just want to take a couple minutes and encourage you to come back to these when you need to, as often as you need to. Don't worry about what the other people around you are doing. Um, that's a big one for me. Like, I, when we were on vacation just last week, we were in Fort Lauderdale, I spent a couple days revamping my website. Uh, I just kind of scratched the whole thing and started over and redid the whole website, and I was really happy with it. Like, I looked at it, and it was like, I was just really delighted. Like, it was had my personality, it kind of had my stamp on it, and I really liked it. And I'm in this Facebook group that has different people who are building their websites and um, that sort of thing. And there was this woman um, who's in ministry, she's an author, speaker, kind of growing her platform. And she said, oh, I just redid my website. She posted her website in this Facebook group, and I thought, and she was looking for feedback. So I clicked on the link, I thought, oh, I'm taking a look at her website. And it was like, amazing, amazing website. <laughs> you know, it's got like the cute like 3D widget picture of her book that she had published and the opt-in like email thing. And I don't even have words for what these things are, people. But <laughs> she, it was legit. And what did I think? Be besides, she has an amazing website. I have to change my website the website I was just happy with 10 minutes ago. I'm like, I gotta change my website. It's just not like that. Guys, don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap. Comparison is the thief of joy. Amen? It is the thief of joy. I, I tell people comparison is actually identity theft. Um, you, you lose a part of yourself when you're comparing yourself to other people. So don't, don't do that. <laughs> I want you to be really good at being you and let those people be really good at being them. Amen? All right. I bless you guys. Thank you for having me here today. I bless you to be who you are, all that God created you to be. Amen. Yeah. Let us come.